0: We're focusing on peace. We're actually continuing our, our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, particularly the Beatitudes of Jesus that we've been calling, called being salt. Because we believe that we are called to be the salt of the earth, as Jesus has told us in this passage. And that we believe the Beatitudes are actually sort of the, the, uh, the heavenly qualities of spiritual salt. And uh, as we were approaching this time, we thought, you know, this, this is... This, this next scripture in the line is very timely because it is Advent and because we talk about peace and joy and love and all of these, these important words that, that the, the coming of Christ has really brought into our world in new and profound ways. But peace is one of those words that I think in some ways is very misunderstood in pop culture. Also, be, can be kind of polarizing because sometimes we talk about peace. Uh, I think that there, because people have different ideas of what peace actually is, um, it can cause some issues. But the other problem is uh, there is a difference between personal peace and peace for everybody, right? Big difference. We're going to get into that a little bit today. But most importantly, the beatitude here is not just peace or being a peacekeeper. It's being a peacemaker. We're going to get into that. Uh, in some detail today. So, let's take a look at Matthew chapter 5 yet again. And we're going to go ahead and read this passage in context because I think it's helpful for us to have the context in mind while we look at each individual verse. So, here's what Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1, tells us. And when he saw the multitudes, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And opening his mouth, he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You were the salt of the earth. But if salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot amen. This is the word of the Lord. Can we just give God a praise? You're there in your living room. Uh, just give God a praise for his word this morning. Those of you who are here, let's give God a praise for his word this morning. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your word. Father, this morning we need your help because in our own strength we do not have the ability to comprehend what you're trying to tell us here. The reality is um, we are all so easily carried on by the winds of the wisdom of this world. God, We are, we're, uh, even though we, most of us in this room, probably all of us in this room, most of us watching have come to a place in our lives where we've trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, the reality is we are still fighting against our old human nature that we have been delivered from, but it's still present and we're still fighting against it and because of that, Father, the, the temptation to, to think in an unspiritual way about your word is there. The temptation to disregard your word is there. What we need is the Holy Spirit this morning, Father, to, to illuminate to us the power of the gospel which is proclaimed in these words from Jesus. So help us, Lord. We ask for your, your spirit to be present with us this morning and in every home where this is being watched. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, I read something this week that I thought was really cool. Um, I like old Bible commentaries, and some of you guys uh, probably are the same way, I'm I'm sure. Uh, I I love old stuff. I just think there's something about old things which have been seasoned, which have had generations for the church to rip apart. And if they still stand, I mean, that's pretty great, you know? Um, But uh, one of the commentaries that I really enjoy, it's called the JFB uh, commentary, and it was written by three men. Um, Jameson, Fawcett, Brown—they were—they uh, they, were—they're old dead guys at this point, but they, they wrote this commentary, and it was a really uh, just a good commentary. One of the things that they—that um, they wrote is they—they—they they, they pressed into this like this this idea of being a peacemaker is being a person who diffuses peace. I love that word. I love that terminology. I just thought it was really cool. Um, and another, an, another one that I read, it's the Expositor's Commentary. It's an older one that I, I engage with on a regular basis as well. They were really quick to say, hey, let's remember here that what Jesus is giving is not just a sermon. We oftentimes call this the Sermon on the Mount. It's not wrong. It was a sermon given on a mountain. But, he's, but, but they were clear to say, we, we want to make sure we understand what Jesus is proclaiming here is, is the gospel of the kingdom and how it. How it interacts with us as believers, and then how we go to interact with the world around us because we've interacted with the gospel of the kingdom. I just thought that was a really good perspective, and those two things together really influenced my thoughts on this. This idea of the gospel and how it gets into us, and then it becomes—we sort of become diffusers of it out. But that was really cool. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Salty people are peacemakers. Clearly the the kingdom value here, it's pretty obvious, it's peacemaking. Or we could also say reconciliation because actually in in the original Greek that word that we translate for peacemaker could, could be reconciler. That's going to be important as we talk about this. But let's... Look at that compared to the worldly value, which would be the opposite, the anti-beatitude, I guess you could say, which is personal peace, or we could say in our culture today, outrage is a great example of that, right? Because uh, we like to speak our peace around here. (laughs) Am I right? I mean, we Americans, we like to speak what's on our mind. If you've ever been on social media, you know what I'm talking about. Some, Some people need to like seriously... Pray before they post to Facebook. I'm just saying. And like, I've had those moments too. So I'm not, when I say some people, I really should say we. Because I've had those moments as well. And I don't want to uh, act like I'm perfect in that. I'm not. Uh, but the Lord has taught me some lessons over the years. The, that some things are better said in person and said in love. <laughs> you know? But it's so easy for us. We, we love to speak our minds. We love to let people know what we think. And we love to let them have it, too, if they've done something wrong. That's very American of us. But peace, what is it? What is peace? Because it seems like it's something that everybody kind of wants. Like, deep down inside, we feel like something is a little bit off in this world. And we want peace. But no one seems to be able to find true peace for very long. Or really at all. John Lennon once sang that we should give peace a chance. When I was a kid, I thought he, he was talking about peas and I should eat my vegetables. But no, it's peace. Give peace a chance. I was listening to the Christmas Carol Station here in Oklahoma City, and uh, one of my favorite songs came on. It's the version of Little Drummer Boy by David Bowie uh, with Bing Crosby's voice in it. I love that, Right? And Bing Crosby sings, peace on earth, can it be? And, and that song is like asking, he's asking this question, could it actually become a reality on earth? Could it, could it be something that is real? Social activists clamor for peace. They hold up signs to say peace. But where is it? Generations go by the hippies built an entire movement on peace. They even made some cool jewelry that I had when I was a kid with a sign that was supposed to be, I don't know, peace. You know, you see a hippie bus, and you think, man, and, you know, like, like painted on the side, peace and love, right? Like, but do we know what that means? Well, we can look a little bit at, a, uh, at some dictionary definitions. That probably helps us wrap our minds around it. Uh, according to Merriam-Webster, it's a state of tranquility or quiet such as freedom from civil disturbance or a state of security or order within a community provided by law or custom. It could also be freedom from disrupting or oppressive thoughts or emotions when you're thinking about it from a psychology perspective, like that inner peace that everybody would love to have. Harmony in personal relations. A state of or period of mutual concord between governments, we could say that the United States and Britain have had peace since we whooped them. No, not exactly. Actually, it was uh, there was the War of 1812. But really, like kind of since then, <laughs> now we've had we've had peace because we've had a, a state of mutual concord, and actually we become friends. That's kind of cool. Maybe a pact or agreement to end hostilities. We could you know talk about the peace. The different treaties of Paris, which were called Peace of Paris talks, right? But, and those are all good. Those are, it's good to wrap our minds around what we mean when we use the word peace. Because the Bible translators clearly use that English word peace or peacemaker for a reason. Because it's the best word to describe the Greek. But I want to look back to the Hebrew word. It's a word that we've probably all heard. It's the word shalom. Shalom was oftentimes used just as a greeting. You, you come into someone's home, you say, Shalom, peace to this home, right? But it, it does mean peace, but, but there's a, really a deeper definition here. And that's the definition of harmony, of wholeness, of completeness. Shalom is a state of rest where you are complete, I remember talking. Uh, I remember in uh, molecular biology talking about the atomic substructure of things. College was a weird time, you know. Um, and, but I remember talking about the atomic substructure of things and how, uh, like, equilibrium. When you finally get to a place where all the atoms are just kind of like, when you freeze water, for instance, all those molecules that are like crazy when they're fluid, they, they, they find the state where they're just like they're frozen they're at rest and there's just like there's not violence happening inside those those uh, those water droplets when they're frozen and I remember in chemistry talking about the the, the idea of uh, like a chemical reaction produces some there's some crazy reaction that the, the goal of that reaction is to produce a state of equilibrium of rest where where there's like peace or shalom, right? It's because the matter has returned to the state where it is naturally present. The reason I mention that is because we don't have peace because the whole world is in a state of reaction because we're not at rest. We don't have shalom. We don't have equilibrium. We don't have wholeness. The world is restless. But We're not just talking about peace or shalom, right? We're talking about peacemakers, being peacemakers, not just peace. So, a peacemaker is so much more than just someone who is peaceful. It's more than someone who just has that shalom or that inner peace or wholeness or completeness in themselves. This is someone who is actively working towards helping others to have shalom as well. That's a peacemaker. So let's look at the one who is the ultimate peacemaker, right? That's why we're here. Yeah. Talk about Jesus. Because Jesus lived and died to make peace possible for us. And that makes him the ultimate peacemaker. And let's also remember that when he called, these Beatitudes are actually qualities of him, of Christ, of who he is. And he's calling us to also bear them out. So let's let's think of Jesus, the ultimate peacemaker, who enters into a problem that isn't his, takes the beating for it, and becomes the ultimate solution for it as well. Scripture says in Colossians chapter one, verses 19 through 20, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Think about that that concept of reconciliation. What does that mean? Well, in reconciliation, you have two parties who have become, their relationship has become fractured. And reconciliation is about trying to bring them back together so they can once again have peace in their relationship. Shalom in their relationship. Wholeness and completeness. That the relationship has become fractured, but you want to bring it back together to wholeness. Billy Graham wrote in his book, Peace with God, you will never know the peace with God, peace of conscience, peace of mind, and peace of soul until you stand at the foot of the cross and identify yourself with Christ by faith. There is the secret of peace right there. That's what Billy Graham said. The secret of peace is to have peace with God. If you want to have that inner peace that you long for. Now, I know so many people in our culture long to have that, that, that just feeling of wholeness and completeness. Like, we're, we're such an anxious culture. We're, so, we're full of anxiety. We're riddled with it. Why? Because first of all, we're not at rest with ourselves. There's something disturbed in us. We're not comfortable in our own skin. And so we're, we lack shalom. We're incomplete inside. And so we go to all kinds of things to try to find completeness, don't we? Go to your favorite bookstore. The biggest aisle is probably going to be the self-help books. Maybe uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, things like that where, where it's like, well, I just got to find my inner peace, you know, like my nirvana. Like, you realize no, nirvana means that you cease to be a person. <laughs> anyway, like do we really want that, you know? Or like, you know, we, we talk about karma, you know, like I got to do the right thing because I don't want bad karma. I'm like, you know, uh, karma is justice, you get what you deserve, but I'm looking to the mercy of the Lord. I don't want to get what I deserve. I want peace. It's something different than what this world can offer me. Because all of those options, what they're going to do, all those world options, self-help books, worldly religions, you know what they're going to do? Is They're going to tell you to rely on yourself more. Dig deeper into yourself. And what you're going to find there. You're just going to find more restlessness. Augustine of Hippo, the great saint of the church, wrote in chapter one of his confessions, thou hast prompted him that he should delight to praise thee. For thou hast made us for thyself, and restless is our heart until it comes to find rest in thee. Augustine understood it. Augustine, by the way, that guy lived a crazy life. (laughs) You know what I mean? He lived a crazy life. Before he became a Christian, he had women. He had wealth. People would look at Augustine and they would say, man, he, he had it all. He had everything. And he was miserable. And he was constantly asking the question, why am I unhappy? I have everything that I ever wanted. And one day he realized he had everything he ever wanted, but the one thing that he needed he didn't even want, and that was Jesus Christ. And when he turned his life over to Christ, when he turned away from all of his worldly living that he thought would satisfy him, and he turned his heart over to Jesus, all of a sudden life made sense for him. The dots connected, and he was whole. And so, if anybody could write this, it's Augustine. And by the way, it sounds a lot like something that King Solomon wrote, right? At the end of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, I've done everything you could do. I had great wisdom, I had great wealth, I had had relationships, I had it all. But he says, I've discovered the end of the matter is to pursue God. To pursue God. Because you know what? The pursuit of God is its the pursuit of peace. If you know God, then you know peace. You've come to have peace. And it's an inner peace that we all desire, that we all dream about, that we wish we could have. The Apostle Paul understood it. And he understood that Through Christ, we receive reconciliation with the Father, and that's the one thing that we need. The reason why our lives are a mess, the reason why our world is a mess, is because we've been fractured. Our relationship with our God has been fractured. And because our relationship with our God is fractured, guess what? We're at odds with the universe, because the universe exists for God's glory. We're at odds with every other person, because even though we don't always admit it, and we don't always even know it, we were created for God's glory. We're at odds with ourselves because we were created for God's glory and we're constantly fighting against it by going to other things for satisfaction. And we have no peace. And can I say this to you today? You won't have peace until you find peace with God. So long as our relationship with God is fractured, we will never have the peace that we desire. We're never going to be truly whole. We're incomplete and less than who we were created to be apart from God. So, we find ourselves restless. That's where we are, apart from Christ. We find ourselves restless. And often we don't even realize how restless we are. We don't understand how how much we're missing what we don't know. Restless people have no hope of finding inner rest, but also they don't have any hope of helping anybody else find rest. So here's what I'm I'm saying. Every self-help book that was ever written that's doing anything but telling you to turn your heart to Jesus is a restless person trying to help restless people find rest, and it doesn't work. Every spiritual and emotional health guru out there, every guest Oprah's ever had on her show... Okay, maybe not all of them, but most of, the, most of these people that pop culture says, hey, look at this person for answers, they're not telling you to turn to Jesus. And they're restless people trying to help restless people find rest. That's not a good formula to find rest. We, as a group, in order to become healthy, we need a healthy example We need someone healthy to lead us, right? We we can't have a restless person trying to help us find rest. We need someone who has that shalom, who has that peace, who can show us what it actually looks like to have that rest. And that's who Jesus is for us. He's the only true human example we have ever seen. And and I mean what I said just, just there. He's the only true human example we've ever seen. He was perfectly at peace with the Father, and yet he allowed himself to go through hell on earth so that we could be reconciled to God. There aren't that many people that if they had the kind of peace that they dream about, they would give it up so someone else could have it better. But that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus had the peace that we dream about. He had a perfect relationship with his Father. He was in heaven, on his throne, no problems. But he was just not satisfied with the fact that we had so many problems. And he loved us. Let's, let's not forget he's the one who created us. I mean, Paul says in Colossians that he spoke all things into existence. You know who created you? Jesus. He spoke into existence humanity, this world, all these things. This is his creative power at work. And yet, he, even though we broke it, he entered into this mess to clean it up so that we could have a right relationship with the Father again. He is here to reconcile what's been fractured in us. So because of Christ, we actually live in a world where peace is possible. But it doesn't mean that everyone's going to experience it, right? Because what's, what's the path to peace? Well, peace comes through faith in Christ. And to have faith in Christ means you have to reject faith in all the other things that you think are going to satisfy you. Shalom is only possible when we have been made right with God and we can be made right with God only through Christ. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 14 when he said to his disciples, hey, where I'm going, you guys can't come right now. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know the way to where you're going. How are we going to get there? And Jesus promised him, no, you're going to get there. But they didn't they couldn't understand it. And and Jesus said, he turned to Thomas, and he said, Thomas, <laughs> and to all the disciples, he says, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's as if Jesus is like the heavenly bulldozer who blazed the trail in order to make a way for us to get to the Father, right? But there's only one trail. Only one. Here's what Paul says to us in Romans chapter 4 and 5. This is the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. He says he was, he's talk, talking about Jesus, He who was delivered over because of our wrongdoings and raised because of our justification. Okay, that, that's, a, that's an important thought. He who was delivered over because of our wrongdoings. Why was Jesus delivered over? Why did he go to the cross? Because of our sin. Because we rebelled against God. He didn't go for his own sin. He went for you, he went for me. We need to be reminded of that sometimes. I know most people who are watching this are believers. You've heard this gospel, but guess what? You need to remember that you're saved not based on your own merit, but based on what Christ has done. We need to remember that today. It's actually critical to our peace. Because you can be a Christian. You can have the peace of God. And you can live like you don't have it. Because we take our eyes off of Jesus. Just like Peter, when he was in the water, took his eyes off of Jesus and started to sink. And as soon as you, Christian, take your eyes off of Jesus, what happens? The waves start to crash on you, you start to notice the mess around you, you start to notice the world you're in, you start to notice what's happening in the political realm, and you start to freak out because you're looking at all those things and you're not looking at the steady Jesus that's in front of you saying, look over here, I'm your peace. And then you start to waver just like the rest of the world and fall into the same patterns. We do it. It's, we're very prone to this. Paul goes on and says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we celebrate in hope of the glory of God. By faith, we walk into this grace of God in which we stand. We stand on the grace of God. You understand that? None of us are standing on, on our own power if we're standing in God's kingdom. We are standing on the grace of God. So peace comes through faith in Christ. That's the only way. That's how peace comes. But, but then once we have the peace, then why? Because this, obviously we're not just talking about getting the peace. We're talking about being a peace maker. So those who have peace naturally then become diffusers of that peace out to others. This is from Peter Kreeft, theologian. He says, it's not, peace, it's not that peacemaking makes you a child of God, but being a child God makes you a peacemaker. becomes a part of who we are. Uh, something about a diffuser, it doesn't diffuse its own aroma. I don't know how many of you guys use a diffuser. You know? uh, I'm into that essential oil thing. It's bombs. Okay? I love it. I can put all my good smells in it. I love mint stuff. Oh, man, it's so good. Give me some peppermint. Not just at Christmas time, either. Peppermint all year round, you know. And, and, and the coffee shop should have peppermint all year round. That's my deal. But, um, uh, so we kind of do here. It's just kind of hidden in the back, and I just go back and get it when I want it. But, uh, you know, like, it's it's this whole idea that if you if you want to diffuse something, it has to be put into you, right? If I run a diffuser with just water, it's just water. There's no great smell. I mean, it still might humidify my room a little bit, but... If I put a little lavender in there or tea tree oil, or like I said, peppermint, glory, you know, glory. Oh, I love some peppermint. But all those things, like they, they, they give off the smell, but it's not the smell of the diffuser. It's not the smell of the water in the diffuser. It's the smell of the oil that I put in there. So what I'm saying is if Christ is in you, if he's been put into you, then you can diffuse Christ, right? The aroma of Christ. That's what being salty is about. It's about the flavor of Christ and the aroma of Christ being in you. Listen, uh, there's a lot of good people in this church. But nobody really wants the flavor of us or the aroma of us. I won't even make a joke about it. You know, I'm just... but. Uh, especially after Thanksgiving. Oops, I, I did it. I made a thing, I made a joke about it. Uh, but but you know, like but, but for real, like nobody wants nobody wants to get us from us. They want Jesus from us. Right? We diffuse the essence of Christ into the, this world because we've received him into ourselves. So uh, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 through 21. When we're out talking to people who don't know the Lord. And I'm not saying that every conversation we have with an unbeliever should be us grabbing a Bible and beating them over the head. Please don't. Uh, actually, don't ever do that. But, but you know, I, I mean that metaphorically, okay? Uh, just, just in case anyone would take that literally. Uh, but, but, but what I am saying is we, we should be looking for opportunities to, to bring Jesus into conversations. Because if our friends and neighbors and family members and coworkers are, are actually not at rest, they don't have that peace that comes through. No, it's the only peace, knowing the Father. The only true peace is to know the Father, to be one of his children. If they don't have that and we carry it, what kind of people are we if we hold that in and we don't get, take the opportunities to love on them in Jesus' name, to tell them the truth about how they can have peace with God as well. So Paul says, this is our message, be reconciled to God. Here's what he says about Jesus. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you know why Scripture says, Jesus here says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. You know why he says they'll be called sons of God? Because when you're a peacemaker, you bear the family resemblance. You are doing the kinds of things that your Father in Heaven does. It's not about what we call ourselves so much as it is about what we're being called. Like people around us see something in us, and the Father calls us His children. In fact, uh, what what came to my mind is in Acts chapter 11, verse 36, we're told the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, why were they called Christians? You know, they weren't called Christians because they were just really nice people who did nice things for people. No, they were called Christians because they looked like Jesus. Christian means little Christ. And that was not a uh, positive term in those days, by the way. Christ was a criminal who was executed by the government. They didn't didn't understand who Jesus was in most of the world. They thought something... Really, he was not particularly known. He was very obscure. And who made him popular was these Christians. And as they find out about who this guy is, they're like, you're what? You're following this guy? This condemned criminal? But he was risen from the dead. And he wasn't a criminal... In God's eyes, he was doing exactly the right thing. So I, I think it's important for us to know that it's because they resembled Christ that they were called Christian. And when we become the sort of people who actively seek to make peace in a broken world, then we look a lot like Jesus. So people might start to get the idea that we're a part of his family. That's cool. <laughs> I hope that's happening in my life I hope that's increasingly happening I hope that more and more I look like Jesus and that that people understand who the sons of God are and by the way it's important that the word sons is used and that applies to all of us because in the kingdom uh, he's using language of old uh, inheritance rights right and in in those days the firstborn son pretty much got all the property (laughs) And what he's saying is, you're all firstborn sons. Doesn't matter if you're male or female. Doesn't matter if, according to this world, you're slave or free. You're all firstborn sons in the kingdom if you know him. That, that that's just a cool thought. I just thought that was neat. Um, so so then we ask a question what is primarily hindering peace? I think we've kind of already gotten there, but I I still I, I had more from Billy Graham to read, so I'm gonna do that. Um he says, All humanity is seeking the answer to the confusion, the moral sickness, the spiritual emptiness that oppresses the world. All mankind is crying out for guidance, for comfort, for peace. We are told that we live in the age of anxiety. How true is that? Uh, Historians point out that there have been few times in all of history where man has been subject to so much fear and uncertainty. All the familiar props seem to have been swept away. We talk of peace, but we are confronted by war at every turn. We devise elaborate schemes for security, but we have not found it. We grasp at every passing straw, even as we clutch, it disappears. For generations, we have been running like frightened children, first up, up one blind alley, then down another. Every time, we are, we've told ourselves, this path is the right one. This one will take us where we want to go. But each time, we have been wrong. What hinders peace? What hinders peace is that we are not looking towards the Father. We're looking towards other things, and so as a peacemaker, as someone who is called to make peace in this world, like Jesus, it's my job to help people see where the real place where they can find peace. Peace is hindered ultimately because this world is is far from God, and we're out of sync with the Creator, and thus we're out of sync with all of creation. I think we've pretty well established that there's not going to be any peace until the world is at harmony with God the Father. And so, what do we do about this? How do we become the peacemakers that Christ has called us to be? I just want to give a couple of, of points of application. A couple things that we can do. Because... Uh, I read a post, this kind of is, well, okay, I read a post on a local social media page. I won't name the page, I won't name the place or the person, but I read a post where a guy was ranting about service he'd received at a local restaurant on Black Friday. By the way, Black Friday, busy day, right? Busy day. Uh, Another thing about it this year, restaurants have limited capacity, right? Anyway. This particular restaurant is a very busy local restaurant very busy and this guy was upset because it seemed that they didn't get his food order turned in before the booth next to him they got their food first even though he was there first he was very upset about it the manager tried to apologize tried to make it right he said you know what since you forgot about me just don't make it this guy got all upset got all triggered about this deal so and and the waitress said well can we get the manager over here didn't even want to talk to the manager, right? Uh, I'm so mad, I'm getting out of here. Well, he posts this whole thing on social media, you know, and tries to shame the manager of the, sh- of the store and the waitress and all. Puts the names out there even. And uh, it's just this big ordeal. And, uh, you know, come to find out, like other people started chiming in. I was there and you were cussing the wait staff and you were all, you know. So it starts coming out, this guy's just like, just, just really not... Being very nice, not really responding in a reasonable way. You know why? Because in that moment, um, he was so concerned about his own personal sense of peace. He became outraged when things were not the way that he wanted them to be. And he had no regard for the peace of anyone around him, or the peace of the people who were running the restaurant, or the situation they were dealing with. All he thought about was himself pretty clear picture of what an outrage culture can do to us it's kind of how our country is reacting to each other on political spectrums and you know we just we tend to get angry we tend to not have a lot of mercy towards each other but here's the thing we can talk about peace all day it's not enough to study about peace god's called us to practice peacemaking and we do this by by pushing against that sort of a mindset that is popular today So two things we we can demonstrate that we have peace with Christ and make peace in our world by letting others off the hook rather than obsessing over offenses. That's something we can practice right now, right? That's a practical thing. Somebody offends you instead of getting all huffy and upset about it, you can let it go. I'm talking do a full on Elsa and just let it go. You know what I mean? Just God is look. This is a quote from Jonathan Dodson. God is so merciful He doesn't confront us with every offense. He only occasionally reveals sin to us, allowing us to enjoy His mercy. Surely, we should extend that same kindness to others. I thought that was a good thought. Second really practical thing that we can do is we can, we can demonstrate that we have peace with Christ and we can help others make peace, and we can make peace with others by refusing to make conflict about us. People who avoid, for instance, people who avoid conflict and also people who... Um, who dive into conflict head first are actually dealing with the same self-centeredness, right? Because we're not actually dealing with the truth in a constructive way. Um, both of those approaches are self-centered. So, so how can we turn ourselves towards Christ and away from you know turn away from self and towards Christ and practice this? Uh, I would just encourage us to be honest, but with love and humility, seeking the glory of God rather than our own happiness in the moment. So when we're in a moment of conflict... Not, not to avoid the problem, but also not to like pour salt in an open wound, to approach it with kindness and truth. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son to the world to condemn the world, but th- in order that the world might be saved through him. So if God didn't send Jesus to condemn the world, he probably isn't sending us to do it either. What I'm saying is we're here to be brokers of peace. We're here to be makers of peace. Christ came not condemning, even though he had the right to do so. And yet, he also didn't avoid the issue of sin, right? He was honest about it. Instead of arguing his point, he made a way for peace by his own blood. So peacemakers often do so. They make peace at the expense of their own happiness and well-being in the moment, but they're motivated by the love of God. So here's what I want to encourage. I I want to encourage us, and we'll close with this passage from Hebrews, because here's what we need. We need the power of God. We need the Holy Spirit to equip us to live this way. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ in whom be glory forever and ever. It's His work in us that makes all of this possible. So we're going to pray. I just want to encourage you right where you are to just allow the Holy Spirit to mingle with your soul right now. What's God saying to you today? Is there any place in your life where you feel peace is lacking? Where you really need to turn away from yourself and back towards Him and receive the shalom that is yours in Christ? Is there a relationship in your world right now? Just kind of draw a circle in your mind around your world. Is there a relationship that's been fractured? That maybe it's within your power to go and help bring restoration. Whether it's directly, maybe you're directly involved. Maybe it's someone you're close to that you can help bring reconciliation. How can you be a peacemaker right now? What's the Lord saying to you? Because he's called us to practice this to be diffusers of peace in our world, because we've received his peace. So Father, help us to see, help us to know how you're calling us to live in light of the power of the gospel that we have interacted with today in your word. Blessed are the peacemakers. We want to be called sons of God. We want people to look at us and and, and unmistakably know that we're children of the kingdom of heaven. We want to be different. We We don't want to be sucked down the paths of outrage like so many people in our world. We want to be at rest in you. Help us, Lord. Help us to be at rest in you so that we can help others to find rest in you. And God, really, that is why we're here. You left us here instead of just taking us straight to heaven so we can represent you in this world and so other people can find peace in the name of Jesus through his bloody cross, through his empty tomb. Lord, help us. Help us to carry your message and to be the people you've called us to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this podcast from New Covenant Fellowship. We'd love to connect with you. If God spoke to you today, if you'd like someone to pray for you, you can text us at 405-518-5164 or visit us at ncfokc.org to find other ways to connect with our church. God bless. and Have a great day.